Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online. And, of course, we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, a four-day truce between Israel and Hamas begins in a few hours' time, with 13 hostages set to be released. Douglas Murray will join us live from the ground in Israel. Preachers at mosques around the country are being investigated for suspected hate speech and we'll bring you Talk TV's investigation. And last year's record-breaking migration was even more record-breaking than we thought. Nearly three-quarters of a million people came in in just one year. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is your home uh, of common sense. It's been another dramatic day out there and there's a lot of news to digest tonight. We'll need to delve deep into what's going on in the world to try and make sense of it all, uh, including the breaking story that five people are now in hospital after a knife attack in Dublin uh, with scenes of vehicles being set on fire. Uh, it's been going on now for quite some time. The police uh, and various mobs in various streets in Dublin are simply running at each other. Uh, there's a belief to be in a, a, a migrant asylum centre set on fire as well. We'll keep bringing you up to date with all of that and we'll tell you what we think is the reason for it as well. But tension's very high in Dublin tonight. Uh, as we predicted back on uh, mainland Britain, we got confirmation today that there are more people than ever coming into this country to live. The human rights activists and lefty lawyers keep saying these are people coming from faraway lands to help us run our country, to help make the NHS work, to do the jobs that no one here wants to do. Well, that is simply not true at all, is it? The NHS doesn't work with or without employing people from overseas. And many of those who came in the last year are dependents, so they might not be working at all. And when the Tories won the election in 2019, net migration to this country stood at around 230,000. They pledged to reduce it Today it stands at 745,000, three times as much. And that's up from last year by 139,000, enough people to populate a city the size of Cambridge. Former Home Secretary Suella Braverman has tonight called it a slap in the face to the British public, and she's right. When is it going to be time to say enough is enough? We'll bring you the truth behind these figures and tell you how all this migration, legal and illegal, is changing the face of Britain. We'll also show you our exclusive investigation into the new hate preachers in mosques in Essex, in Liverpool, in Birmingham and in London, where daily calls for the deaths of Jews and the killing of Zionists indiscriminately is the order of the day. It's quite extraordinary that this kind of violent speech is allowed in Britain 
in 2023. We'll also go live to Israel to speak with Douglas Murray for the latest on the hostage release deal being struck in Qatar. The exchange is now due to take place tomorrow after being delayed today. And it's going to be very traumatic. We know that. We've also got some shameful footage of Kay Burley embarrassing herself on TV today. It's so biased, he thinks she's got a new job at the BBC. And we'll be checking in with the Montecito Massive in the US of A. It might be Thanksgiving, but we've got Kinsey Schofield to bring us the latest on Harry and Meghan's humiliation across the pond. At least we can be thankful that they're not here. There's also plenty more. Uh, Geert Wilders scaring the hell out of the EU. Dogs getting drunk on Baileys. And a brilliant panel with all tomorrow's news tonight. It's everything you've ever wanted on a Thursday evening. It is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Now, as we told you earlier, there are some dramatic scenes coming into us uh, from Dublin. There's buses set on fire, there's police cars set on fire, the Garda out in force saying that uh, a hooligan element, they're calling them far-right thugs, but of course, uh, that would be what they would call them. Uh, the reason for the riot, and it's a mini-riot, it has to be said, uh, is because there was a stabbing that took place this afternoon outside a school, three children uh, on the, under the age of six were stabbed. One of them has now apparently been released, but one is still in hospital with some very severe injuries. You can see the violence on the streets there. Uh, there's a migrant hostel believed to be being set on fire as well. Um, the Garda are trying to fight back, but it's running battles in the streets of Dublin uh, with people just saying enough is enough. One of the people um, who actually is in um, position in hospital is the assailant himself. The Garda said they're not looking for anybody else. And the reason for this particular outrage uh, is because they're saying um, the people got word that the man in question who has been arrested uh, or is wanted in, in connection with the stabbing is in fact an Algerian migrant. We have not been able to confirm that yet. But don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Calls cost national rates, of course. Uh, Peter Whittle joins me in the studio, uh, the founder of the New Culture Forum. Peter, a very, very good evening to you. Morning, Welcome. Um, Afternoon, evening. Evening, even. Evening. Yeah, I know, it's hard to keep up, isn't it? Um, <laughs> It's all kicking off in, in Dublin. We've got mm. migration things to talk about. We've got the whole situation with, um, with the hostages to talk about as well. Let's just start with, with what's happening in Dublin. Mm. Lots of people cr uh, crying out and saying, you know, enough is enough. They've had a big problem with migration in mm. Dublin um, and in, in, in the Republic of Ireland over and the last few years, haven't they? Yes, and op opposition to it. I think, yeah. as you quite you know, rightly pointed out, we don't... We're not confirmed mm. as to, you know, the... the we don't know if, if the assailant is indeed as he has been painted. We always have to say that, but in a way, it's beside the point, because when you have a situation like we have now, and I know we're going to talk about migration figures, but when yeah. you have a situation uh, which is as heightened as it is, and when people feel, I would say, powerless mm. as well, when they don't feel listened to quite rightly, and they should be listened to on these issues, yeah. um, they start to jump to conclusions. And... Frankly, there's a fair amount of ground for the conclusions yeah. they jump to. Well, you I know? mean, let's just see Suella Braverman's statement tonight. She obviously was Home Secretary until very recently. She laid out what she wanted to do in order to try and stop the flood of people coming in, both legally and illegally. Um, she says tonight that uh, the immigration figures that we've seen coming into Britain, 725,000 um, nets, yeah. if you like, um, basically is a slap in the face to the British public. And she said, when is somebody going to say enough is enough? Well, people said enough is enough a very long time ago, right? What it is, it's the government and it is the civil service and all of these people, they're the ones who have to call a halt to it. Your average person in the street thought enough was enough a long time ago, Mike. The fact is people 
have, over the past 30 years nearly, they have never, ever been consulted about what has amounted to a major change mm. in the nature of their country. Right. And it's becoming clearer and clearer. In fact, it's sort of speeding up. I think what woke a lot of people up were those demonstrations that we saw recently in London, yes. you know, the big demonstrations. Well, I think that's kind of galvanised a lot of people, yes. hasn't it? Because people have said, this doesn't look like the London that I knew. This doesn't look... You and I have had this conversation yeah. before. Yeah. You know, these people rampaging through London, particularly the weekend of Armistice Day. Mm. You know, this does not look like a British protest. Yes, it wasn't actually just about uh, Gaza, uh, Palestinians and, and Israel. It was also a, a complete disregard and insult to British traditions. Yes. Yeah, totally. In that case, remember... By people who clearly couldn't give a stuff about British traditions. Uh, if that's even if they know much about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, they're not encouraged to know anything about it. Mm. Um, I think the thing is, Mike, that, that when you see these these kind of figures, and the one from last year was, has now been revised up, so the latest one we have will doubtless be revised up again. These are net figures. Yes, Remember of course. Yeah. Net figures. Uh, we very rarely get told about the sort of people who are actually leaving. Um, almost never get to hear about that. Uh, these are net figures. 1.2 million, I think, growth. Yeah. Which it was last year as well, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. These, um, if we want our country to survive in any recognisable form, this simply has got to stop. I yeah. mean, basically, I think all mass migration should be ended, at least for a period. Yes, I think so. We'll come back to that story because it's going to be something that we focus on an awful lot of the show tonight because not only do we know that uh, migration numbers are going up despite what all the hu human rights lawyers told us, oh, it was all about uh, Ukraine, it was all about uh, people coming here from Hong Kong. Well, it wasn't. And it's about people staying longer and it's about people bringing more dependents with them. But first of all, before we carry on with that conversation and bring you more uh, from the streets of Dublin, where I'm told the army is now parading on the streets, patrolling on the streets, and the centre of Dublin has now been locked down because of this process currently going on. Um, but let's now take a trip to Israel, because the first group of 13 hostages held in Gaza are going to be released tomorrow at 4pm uh, after a final agreement made between Israel and Hamas on which captives should be freed First, a four-day ceasefire will begin at 5am tomorrow and nine hours later uh, we will see the first set of women and children who were kidnapped by Hamas gunmen on October the 7th released. Um, we've still got New Culture Forum founder Peter Whittle, but let's go live now uh, over to Douglas Murray, who's in Israel for us. Douglas, a very good evening to you. Good evening, good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us, Douglas. I mean, this has obviously been a delayed deal. Originally it was 50 people that were going to be released um, early this morning. Something obviously changed there. Now it's only 13. What, what happened? Nobody knows exactly what happened. We do know some of the terms of the deal. It was thought that it would uh, happen this morning. Everyone in Israel was primed for it. Yesterday evening I was with some of the families as the news started to come through and of course uh, the families are all hoping that their loved ones, their children uh, might be on the list. Uh, Hamas let everyone down this morning, not surprisingly, they're not a very reliable terror group. Uh, and uh, maybe tomorrow we'll see this exchange. It's an incredibly painful time in Israel. It's incredibly painful, of course, for the families. But it's also astonishingly painful because in every single one of the prisoner swaps, the prisoner exchanges, the hostage exchanges, which Israel gets involved in, always it has to swap out a whole pile of Palestinian prisoners for even one Israeli kidnapped. Uh, we saw this uh, many times before. 
At the moment, the deal seems to be three Palestinian prisoners. That's, by the way, three Palestinians in Israeli prisons for carrying out terror attacks against Israeli citizens, stabbing them, shooting them, and much more. These three lives are being swapped for one Jewish child uh, tomorrow morning, possibly. And, uh, of course, um, it's a nightmare for the families. But that's also a nightmare for Israel, because, just to give a bit of history of this, uh, the man Sinwar, the Hamas leader in Gaza, who coordinated and led the terrorist atrocities of October the 7th, was himself handed over by the Israelis from an Israeli prison a decade ago in a swap for the Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit, who was abducted and taken into Gaza. So 10 years ago, when over a 1,000 prisoners were swapped for one Israeli soldier, one of those prisoners was the man who organized the massacre of October the 7th. So whilst everybody wants to see the hostages home, it's got a very, very bitter taste, this exchange. It really does, and it gives a flavor as well to people who don't know enough about the subject uh, as to why people in Israel feel the way that they do about Hamas, because I was reading your piece in The Spectator this week, Douglas, about, you know, the young of particularly this country, but of many other countries who have sort of joined in with this mass um, kind of hatred of Israel. Um, there's more Palestinian That's marches right. being made through the streets of Britain over the course of this weekend. They're now saying, oh, well, this is not a ceasefire, so we're still going to march until we get a ceasefire. You've got some interesting things to say about that. Yeah. Look, I mean, these people marched... Uh, from the day after the Hamas atrocities of October the 7th. They literally marched before Israel had done anything mm. in retaliation for the murder of 1,400 Israelis and the abduction of 240 civilians and the stealing of them into Gaza in God knows what conditions. So these people who are marching on our streets in London and around the UK... Uh, we're doing this from the start. They don't actually care about the Palestinians. I'm very persuaded by this. I've covered a lot of conflicts, including in this region. You know, uh, there were no marches when Bashar al-Assad was massacring hundreds of thousands of Syrians. There were no marches of this size in the UK. There were no marches of this size in the UK when hundreds of thousands of Muslims were being killed in Yemen. These people, including the Muslims and including the doltish leftists and others who go along with this, they don't actually care about the Palestinians. What they hate is Israel defending itself. What they hate is the one Jewish state in the world defending its civilians. They believe that they don't have the right to do that. And if anyone thinks that if Israel somehow uh, um, opened the borders of Gaza, that, by the way, Egypt also closes, uh, that this would all be peaceful, just look at what happened when 4,000 people flooded through the Gaza into Israel last month. Mm. I've seen too many of the sites of what they did myself by now. They carried out atrocities of a kind that we haven't seen since the Second World War. We haven't seen atrocities like this since Nazi Germany. And these guys were so happy when they were doing it, as they were massacring. We have the tapes, we have the evidence, by the way. We've already got Holocaust denial in real time. Uh, we have the tapes of the people who were being killed. We have their iPhone footage. We have the attackers' videos. They were doing GoPro as they were going around house to house. We have the first responders' videos. We have bodies in the morgue not far up from me still being worked on by forensic pathologists to try and work out who 
which sex these bodies even were, who these people were in life, whether they were male or female, young or old. Why? Because the bodies were so badly decimated by Hamas that even now, seven weeks later, the identities of some of the victims are not known. Yeah. And how dreadful is it to look back on the day itself um, and go into Gaza and watch as you see people demonstrating, you know, cheering, shouting, you know, spitting on uh, the dead bodies of, of some of the, uh, the victims as they were driven on the back of pickup trucks. Melanie Phillips wrote an interesting piece um, earlier this week, Douglas, and you probably saw it, in which she said, you know, the secret that dare not speak its name is that there's an awful lot more people in Gaza and the West Bank who support Hamas than we know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people talk about this sort of idea, and it's a, it's a, it's a nice fiction that the Gaza is sort of ruled by Hamas, who, of course, were voted in by the Gazans in 2006 and, of course, never held another election. It's true that Hamas in Gaza has, among other things, uh, tortured and killed their Fatah opponents and members of other Palestinian factions. Hamas has no particular love uh, for the Palestinians either. If it did, it wouldn't have taken all the millions and billions of dollars of international aid that British taxpayers, among other things, sent them and built tunnels underneath Gaza and then used it for their own wealth creation abroad and pumping it into foreign bank accounts. You know, happy us, the British taxpayer, where our dollars went when they went to Gaza. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, 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 it's astonishing to me to watch what is happening back home. And I tell you this, Mike, this is the one thought I've had most since this all started was, I'm pretty confident that, and having been in Gaza with the IDF uh, embedded with them, I'm pretty confident that Israel knows what it needs to do to protect its civilians, its citizens. What I wonder here tonight in Israel is, is that the case back home? As I look at the scenes in Ireland tonight, with riots in the streets after this uh, terrible stabbing earlier, does Ireland know how to defend itself? When I look at scenes like those in London, where we see disgusting young men and women praising a terror organisation, and, and even the people who, who, who praise a group that massacred young people at the kind of dance festival they themselves would mm. go to happily in a normal day. When I see that, I wonder, does Britain know what it needs to do to defend itself? I wonder. Yes. I'm not so worried about Israel at the moment. I think Israel can defend itself. I'm worried about Britain. Can well, we? Wait, well, wait until you see what we've got later on in the show, which is a series of... Um, of, of footage, pieces of footage from various mosques up and down the country where openly it is being said that we should go out and kill Jews indiscriminately, kill Zionists, quoting from right. uh, the Quran, talking about, you know, let them come out behind the Jew and kill him. Unbelievable stuff being yes. said right out there in the open. They're not even yeah. pretending anymore. No. That's, by the way, that, that last quote is, is a hadith from Islamic scripture and uh, it points to one of the sources of the problem. It's very, very deeply embedded, this anti-Semitism that we're seeing at the moment. Um, but no, I mean, the, the, the situation we have in Britain, uh, I, I mean, Mike, what are we going to do about these people? Do we really want to live with Hamas supporters in no. the UK? We have them. There are people like Mohammed Sawalha who lives in North London yeah. in, a, in a flat he mysteriously managed to buy with a lot of cash the other year. Britain gave him uh, um, uh, the ability to remain in the UK. You're meant to sign a form when you become a British citizen say, saying you're a person of good character. We knew that he was a Hamas commander, Mohammed Sawalha, when he became a British citizen. How can a Hamas commander be a person of good standing? 
this is something that the British government needs to address. He should go. We should not want to be in the same country as him. No, you're absolutely right. And he even came in on a fake passport. Douglas, fantastic to talk to you. I wish you well. Uh, we'll speak again, I'm sure. Um, and we can only hope that we see some release of some hostages tomorrow uh, and that it all goes um, very calmly. Peter, we've got more to talk about. I'm going to ask you to stay here for a moment, if yep. you would. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Do not go anywhere, because coming up, we will be bringing you Talk TV's investigation into the suspected hate speech, not very suspected in my view, at mosques around this country. Plus, pro-Palestine protesters have organised more than 100 rallies for this weekend. Are they coming anywhere near you? Find out, coming up. Welcome back to the Independent Republic. Israel's war on Hamas has sparked suspected hate preaching in a number of Britain's mosques. The Talk TV investigation today reveals footage of preachers in several mosques calling for Jews to be killed and Israel to be destroyed. We've handed our dossier of evidence to police and officers from three forces are now actively investigating. Uh, here's Holly Hudson with an exclusive report, which comes with a warning that some of you, some of you may find its content offensive. Allah a sermon at the Redbridge Islamic Centre in Ilford. The speaker prays with his congregation in Arabic to curse the Jews and the children of Israel. Talk TV had the recording translated twice independently. It's voiced by an actor. O oh Allah, curse the Jews and the children of Israel. O oh Allah, curse the infidels and the polytheists. O oh Allah, break their words, shake their feet, disperse and tear apart their unity, and ruin their houses and destroy their homes. And from London to Liverpool. If the three billion just marched on Israel, it's all over. The spot in the direction of Israel, two billion, it's all over. To Birmingham. The stones, the stones will speak and say, Oh Muslim, behind me there is a Yahudi, come and kill him. Preachers at mosques across Britain have been filmed calling for victory for Hamas. Oh God, heal our hearts regarding the usurping Jews and in every enemy of you and the Muslims. Oh God, limit their numbers, kill them indiscriminately, and do not leave any of them alive. Oh God, our Lord, disperse them. Weaken their strength, shake the ground beneath their feet, and freeze the blood in their veins. Make them captive to the Muslims. And stoking hatred against Jews and Israel with alarming anti-Semitic rhetoric. Oh, revenger, revenge from the oppressive aggressor occupying Zionists. Oh, Allah, shake the earth beneath them. Oh, Allah, limit their number, kill them indiscriminately, and do not leave any of them alive. Rhetoric that in some cases is as violent as that of Abu Hamza, the known hate preacher who delivered sermons at Finsbury Park Mosque before it was shut down and he was deported from the UK. In Greenwich, this speaker ended his prayers with calls for Allah to grant victory over the enemy. The Met said while it understands the footage raised concern in Greenwich, no offences had been committed there. Jewish groups, though, say that police aren't doing enough and are calling for prosecutions in some cases, warning that some of these sermons could lead not only to hate crime, but extremism and even terror. There is no difference between the rhetoric in the Hamas Charter and the rhetoric that is on display in these videos. They are utterly hateful, they are violent, 
and they are a threat to both Jews and non-Jews in this country. There is a real risk of more than just one person being encouraged by this rhetoric to go out and take action on the streets. And we've seen how bad that can be in the past. Talk TV has confirmed that police are assessing video evidence from five of the seven mosques we've highlighted. The Charity Commission is also assessing complaints about those which are registered charities. In a statement, they said, We are aware of a significant number of serious concerns which largely concern allegations of anti-Semitic or hate speech. We're assessing them and if there has been any wrongdoing, we'll take action. Talk TV reached out to all of the mosques and figures featured in this report. Redbridge Islamic Centre declined to comment directly to us, but previously said it launched an immediate investigation and decided that the imam will not be allowed to address worshippers again until it's concluded. No other mosques responded. Peter Whistle is still with me. Um, quite extraordinary stuff, Peter, isn't it? Uh, it's appalling, but not shocking. Yeah. It's appalling. I think what Talk TV have done there is a great service, actually, although... It shouldn't be the case, should it, that people are well, having to go in? we shouldn't have to do it, should you we? You shouldn't have to do it. The fact is, um, this is the kind of hate speech which is real hate speech. Yeah. Right? The police now spend most of their time going after, you know, if you say a man, uh, a woman is, uh, you know, a trans, trans woman is a man or whatever, yeah. that's now hate speech. Right. In this particular case, um, I don't trust, I'm afraid, like, that the police will actually do anything about this. I mean, this is surely incitement to murder, isn't yes, it? Yes, of course it is. And, and even before anyone had heard of hate speech laws in this country, that was always illegal, mm. you know, incitement to violence right. and murder. Uh, this is pure. What we're seeing is pure incitement to, incitement to, to murder and uh, Jewish people. And the fact is, is that there's been one, uh, in, uh, one investigation, I think it was Greenwich we saw there, and the police concluded that nothing uh, had been said that was hateful or there wasn't enough evidence or whatever it is. Right. This is always um, their response, right? Mm. And I mean, we have see got serious trouble in our midst. And we have had, actually for a long time, because I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, back in 2007, 8, something like that, there was a big Channel 4 show called Undercover Moss. Yes. And uh, it wasn't about Israel, so this is all new. Mm. But it was about the sort of things being said in mosques. Mm about gay people, yeah. about women, right. about Israel, yes, uh, generally about the way in which uh, one should just simply abide by the laws of the country that you're in until you take over, things like that. Yeah. Right? Um, do you know what happened in that case? Is that it was put to the, the police, they investigated and they turned it right round and, and actually went after the programme makers. Unbelievable. That went after for making a sort of hateful programme, yeah. possibly. Now. Who knows what that might happen to you at Talk TV? Who yeah. knows? But the fact remains that this is the stuff that is um, bread and butter throughout our entire country in these mosques, and basically it is being allowed to go yes. on. And it gets fed into the whole argument we were having earlier about immigration, the rising numbers yes. of people coming to here from, from other countries, particularly yes. from Pakistan, particularly from um, Muslim countries, um, who then get set up in a mosque. There are parts of Britain now um, where I'm told um, the police don't really go very much, um, where there are these radical extremists. And, you know, we're not going to say for, for a minute that every Muslim community is like this, yeah. but there are lots of them, and yeah. there are plenty more mosques, I'm sure, where you hear that kind of conversation. Well, this, there is a kind of segre segregated living now, uh, effectively. Uh, the funny thing is that, you know, you go to certain cities and people say, 
uh, oh, it's a multicultural city. Well, actually, no, there are lots of different monocultural mm. areas. Yes. That's quite Which different. Which is not the same thing. That's and you've done a fascinating different. report on that yourself about, about London. Yeah. Let's just move on to, to a couple of other stories we need yeah. to talk about. Uh, Geert Wilders uh, winning the election yes. in, in Netherlands. Yeah. Um, again, a kind of a, um, um, a reaction, if you like, to the mass immigration that's taken over all of Western Europe, a reaction to um, the COVID lockdowns, a reaction in the countryside outside of Amsterdam. Yes, exactly. people who want representation. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, uh, people have said, you know, we've got Gerd Wilders, we might have Marine Le Pen in in France, and also there was Maloney, who's a slightly different political yeah. animal in Italy. The fact is they all have a particular system of, of election, which is PR. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we have this first-past-the-post system, which tends to mitigate against newish parties or, or smaller parties. Yeah. Gerd Wilders has been around for quite a long time, yeah. but... Apparently, what actually pushed him over the line this time, to, to, actually to a stunning success, actually 37 seats, yeah. I think, uh, were these demonstrations mm. over Israel yeah. and seeing in the street people actively rejecting the values of Europe yeah. and indeed uh, glorifying terrorism. And embracing terrorism. Yes. But I think this is the point, is that in Europe, and certainly in this country, um, people have not been listened to on these issues for so long. You know, when Suella Braverman says... You know, uh, when are people going to say is enough is enough? Mm. As I said earlier, Mike, people have said that for years. Yeah. And they are, but nobody listened. They're not only not listened to, they are lied to. Yeah. They are told that, in fact, actually, yes, we're going to get it down. We're, we're going to cut it, you know, never fear. And what have we seen, particularly over the past, what is it, six years? Now we're up to three quarters of a mm. million people per year coming yeah. into this country. Um, this is really without historical precedent. And yeah. it's therefore not surprising, you know, that people turn to uh, to Gert Wilders or whoever else it might be. You know, at least, you know, they are listening to what people feel. Absolutely right. And the trouble is, the reason they haven't been listening is because they don't really want to listen. They don't really want to change anything. Got a couple of people saying, uh, from uh, the point of view of Gert Wilders getting in, Alex says it would be a change to see a leader who actually does yeah. what the majority want instead of ignoring him. Maddie says, I think his victory is a huge wake-up call to all European countries. Lots of you have got things to say as well about the boss. We'll get to that as well. But before, um, Peter, you have to go, yeah. we want to talk about this one story that was the, the most ridiculous story of the day, I suppose, uh, in The Times, about how... Cleverer people apparently voted to remain well, in the European Union yes, I... um, and the stupider people voted to leave. Should we take that personally, Mike? Well, I mean, I, I, mean I, I take nothing seriously when it comes from the sort of Ramona camp. Uh, the guy who, um, who came up with this study, I think he's at Bath University, yes. says nobody should be offended by this. It's simply scientific study, which is what they say all along, you know, like the experts are so clever um, and people <laughs> who voted to leave are too stupid to understand them. No, I think... That... You see, we've had, haven't we had this for about the past six years? Yes. Um, basically, you know, the, the, the basically low-status people hold particular views, including that they want to get out of the EU, as it yeah. was. Low-status people. Uh, huge amounts of snobbery in this. What's interesting to me, though, when I saw this story in The Times this morning, was I thought, you know, you're still trying... You're licking your wounds yeah. still. These people are still licking... They're trying to find consolation for the fact that they lost, right? right? Yeah. And so they can't bear the fact that for once they didn't get their way. And so, you know, this is just the latest one. It's, right. It's and what's interesting rubbish. is that his study says that he found that the Remain voting people were more likely to do better on cognitive tests. Now, cogn cognitive tests are supposed to measure how clever you are at taking in information and kind of, you know, um, storing it and yeah. learning from it, right? Yeah. But actually, there's also a thing called cognitive bias, 
which he hasn't mentioned. Yes. Cognitive bias is what you think you should think and what you think you should believe and the bits of information that you choose to actually take on board, which I think is far more likely to be the case. Well, that's, that's the crucial point, actually, mm. because, you see, um, uh, I think when they talk about intelligence, they actually mean people who've been through the education system. Yes. Oh, actually. yeah. I think they mean graduates and all this. What is interesting is that it's the people at the top of our society, you know, the elites and all the rest of it, they tend to be far more prone to being sheeple. Mm. You know, they're, they're far more prone to fashion. Yeah. In, they will, fashionable beliefs. Yes. They will go along. It's the emperor's new clothes. Right. Far more than the majority of people. Yes. I mean, there is the wisdom of crowds. Right. They're not likely to be rebellious. They're not likely to be individualistic. No. They're not likely to think far separately from, from the people that they hang about with because they don't like to be thought of as not one of the crowd. No, exactly, and uh, that's why everyone in virtually every institution we might like to talk about pretty much has the same view about every single thing. Yes. I think when it came to Brexit, you know, you really actually had to show a fair amount of mental fortitude yeah, absolutely. to go against the kind of orthodoxy. Because yeah. you were being told every day, this is wrong, you're stupid, right. this is wrong, the banks... You're a racist. The lot. Yes, yeah. you're a racist. If you can actually say, you know, despite all that, I'm still going to vote this way, then to me that shows kind of mental strength. It does. I think that's absolutely right. And we're seeing now, literally on the streets of, of very many different places, the reaction mm. to what has been this kind of elite approach yeah. to the EU, uh, to mass migration, uh, to COVID, to net zero, all of the things yeah. that ordinary people actually do care about and yeah. don't want to see happening without them being asked. Um, and it's all coming back to haunt them. Peter Whistle, great to see you. Thank you Love very you much see you indeed. Too, uh, you're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and you better stay watching because I'm going to tell you coming up how Harry and Meghan have been publicly shamed in Hollywood. Also, you won't believe why this dog can't go for its walk. All that plus a load more coming up next. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now, over in the United States, they're in the midst of their Thanksgiving dinner, and many will be overindulging while celebrating the holidays, but one South Jersey pup took it just a little bit too far. But that's enough of me woofing about it. Take a look for yourself. Jack, try the walk. Come on, let's go. <laughs> it's not funny, but my dog is drunk, and I don't know what to do about it. Now, I mean, please don't, if for heaven's sake, start complaining that this is cruelty to dogs because what this poor woman did uh, was she went out to go do some shopping. I think Christmas shopping, Thanksgiving, uh, was coming up. And, of course, uh, somehow a bottle of Baileys got knocked over and the dog, being a dog, thought, thought oh, that's would be nice. I'll just lick all that up and licked it all up. And this is the result. It now can't walk. So let that be a lesson to you. If you can have Baileys at Christmas, just have one glass of it. Do not finish the bottle like most people do uh, and you won't be staggering about... Uh, like this poor little plastered pooch that you see before you. Um, so let that be a warning to all of you. The, the Christmas season might be coming, um, but you don't have to get that festive. Honestly, there's a bottle, completely and utterly empty. <laughs> Brilliant. Very, very good. Now, uh, the royal family have definitely missed me talking about them. And what a week they've had. The king and queen hosted South Korea's president and first lady for the first incoming state visit since the king's coronation. Meanwhile, uh, it's a different story with Meghan and Harry. Over in Hollywood, the famous Kitson store has given its Christmas display the royal treatment. Uh, the royal couple have been sarcastically titled People of the Year by Kitsons as they appear alongside newspaper headlines calling them out for preaching about climate change while consistently using private jets. If it's a competition, I certainly know uh, who's winning. Hypocrites, 
For heaven's sake, who would have thought it from across the pond, despite the fact it's Thanksgiving? We've got Royal commentator uh, Kinsey Schofield. Before we get into the Royal drama, uh, Kinsey, very good to see you. Can I start by saying a very happy Thanksgiving and thank you for joining us on the show. I hope you're not missing any turkey or anything. Yeah, no, I, I'm keeping my dogs away from the Baileys this evening. <laughs> that is quite a, quite a the pooch, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I used to have a dog that quite liked a little beer uh, poured into his dog bowl, but I don't think I've ever seen a dog drinking um, after dinner sort of liqueurs. Yeah, mine pre mine prefer champagne, but not tonight. Not tonight, course. not after that video. But of course, I wonder if there's going to be any champagne being drunk by. Um, Harry and Meghan in the Montecito Massive. I don't know whether they're still up in Canada or not, but they, I mean, I was saying to somebody earlier this week, it seems as though they've now got so fed up with having everyone taking the mickey out of them in America that they've sought refuge in Canada. That just might be what it is. But, you know, Mike, as I'm watching and observing from a PR perspective, and you, you were just talking about how incredible the Princess of Wales, Catherine, looked at that yeah. event. Um, I, I think that Harry and Meghan have had some counsel that are telling them, we need to go back to your roots. What is it that people, you know, saw in you at right. the beginning? It seems as if they're doing these fake little royal engagements. For yeah. instance, you know, that hockey game we're looking at right there where, well, where Harry threw the puck or this event in San Diego they did opening up a gem for wounded warriors a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's as if we are watching royal cosplay because they are trying to, you know, they're trying to remind people why they liked them in the first place. I think the problem is, though, that they've said too much, and we're having a hard time buying them involved in all of these charities because we've seen for the last three years how completely self-consumed right. these two are. Exactly right. And, I mean, that Kitson store, I was listening to, to you with Kevin O'Sullivan earlier, is, is a real landmark place in, in Los Angeles, and she'll hate that, won't she, the fact that they're just making fun of her there. Oh my goodness. I, Megan has definitely shopped Kitson. In my personal opinion, Kitson is the place to go, the place to be seen. They have the cutest gifts inside. You know, they were, I don't know if you remember this, but remember when Brad cheated on Jennifer Aniston and they yeah. did the Team Angelina, Team Aniston shirts? <laughs> um, so this is a very famous store. It's been around for, I mean, decades now. And it is the celebrity hotspot. I'm sure Megan has been inside this particular store, maybe purchased a few things. Uh, and she's going to cringe at the idea of other celebrities walking through these doors and seeing her and her husband being called out for their eco-hypocrisy. Right. Because the thing I found weird about the hockey game was, you know, this sort of ludicrous over-celebration that was going on. Uh, considering that neither one of them is a particular hockey fan, they're certainly not a hockey fan of that particular team. And they were laughing and cheering and waving their arms in the air as if they were watching, you know, their own kind of national team winning an Olympic medal. Well, I should be a better person and not remind you of the rumours that were circulating when Megan was married to Trevor Ingleson about her and a particular hockey player in Canada when she was on the show Suits. Oh, really? I won't do that because it's Thanksgiving, no. OK? That would be wrong, but, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, but Megan is a hockey fan, is what I'm trying to tell you. Right. Well, <laughs> indeed. Well, I mean, she knows what to do with the puck, is, is, is what you're trying to tell me. But, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, going to Canada, where she spent a lot of time, as you say, filming, where she fell in love, I think, did she not, with a, a restaurateur in Toronto and sort of sacked off the previous husband and all of that. Um, it just looks to me like they are really trying to reinvent themselves yet again. Um, and we're hearing from Omid Scobie, I think, aren't we, in People magazine, that they want to move on now from the royal family.
I, I, do you really think that that's true? What is their value outside of the royal family? They've proven it to be absolutely zero. Yeah. Megan tried to distance herself from the royal family with her podcast Archetypes, and that took a nosedive. Megan talking to Hollywood celebrities like Paris Hilton, Mariah Carey, Serena Williams, people just didn't care to the right. extent that Spotify cut the cord. Right. So, you know, I don't think that there's much value to Harry and Megan when it comes to uh, anything other than the British royal family, and, and they've got to accept that and I think that that's why we're getting all of these very bizarre leaks about phone calls yeah. and perhaps you know please invite us to Christmas yeah I mean I can't see it happening I literally can't see it happening because I think even if even if King Charles decides like you well you know it's Christmas maybe we should be a bit more forgiving and give him another go I mean they'd still have to be worried every single minute of the day they were there that it would all turn into another book or another show or another Netflix series and go, oh, look, how we spent Christmas at, uh, you know, Balmoral with the King of uh, the United Kingdom. I just don't think they're going to let them do it. And, and I don't think William will ever really see him ever again. I really think that we're seeing the Prince and Princess of Wales shine so much recently and prove their value, prove that they don't need someone like Harry and Meghan within the royal family to attract a younger audience, to engage people in, in conversations like climate change. Um, and, you know, the early years, uh, Kate and William are a beautiful couple. They're a sexy couple. Just, you know, the way that they hold hands or she'll tap his bottom. You know, they are really attracting a new generation of monarchists. And they're proving that Harry and Meghan aren't really necessary. So uh, I think you're right. There is a lack of trust there. And I just don't see the value in it for them to, to you know, Harry and Meghan are considered very toxic individuals. Yeah. And the royal family has been through several years of turmoil and, and to, quite frankly, chaos. I think this holiday season they're looking for peace and Harry and Meghan are the opposite right. of that. And what do you reckon to his kind of status, as it were? Because... I don't know whether he's got a green card or whether he needs to get a green card or whether he needs to become a citizen. Or He'll certainly have tax responsibilities if he stays there uh, for as long uh, as he plans to, won't he? Well, that's why they registered all their businesses in Delaware. Apparently, like, that's the, you know, the greatest tax breaks are in Delaware. Right. Um, you know, I wondered, however, if that was why we were hearing reports about Harry trying to find uh, a residence mm. in the UK yeah. uh, to keep whatever current status he has, yeah, because he's not a citizen of the United States. Um, so perhaps that is why he's trying to find a home over there so that he can maintain whatever status that is. Right. Uh, but I do think he's likely homesick. And I do think that their professional failures really negatively affect their home life. Mm. Of course, that's what I hear at the beauty parlor. Yes. And um, I think that they're, you know, they are. this is probably their Annus Horribius in regards to um, professionally, this has not been a great year for them. No, it really hasn't. And, and it's very sad to have to get that report from you, uh, Kinsey, because, you know, it makes me really, really unhappy on Thanksgiving. But never mind. Um, go and have a nice glass of sherry um, and some turkey, and I'm sure, you know, it'll be OK. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. They've got 16 bathrooms. That's yeah, a lot of toilet paper to cry right. in. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Absolutely brilliant. Kinsey Schofield, brilliant to talk to you. Lovely to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, thank you very much indeed. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Now, grab your phone, stay in your seat, because I'm going to take some calls. 0344 499 1000. The calls will cost you the national rate. I'll also tell you why the immigration system is completely unfit for purpose, not just here, uh, but looks like Ireland is as well.
Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for Taking the Mic. Here we go again. More broken promises, more criminal decisions, more weakness at the border and more failure of a nation's immigration system, which is simply unfit for purpose. Today, we learned officially what we already knew. There are another 745,000 people living in Britain than there were this time last year. The government figures from the Office for National Statistics make grim reading. And while the lefty lawyers tell us these are all people coming to either work or study here, that's only half the story. Because it turns out that 48% of those newcomers to our country are family members of the people applying for visas. Also, we were told that last year's net migration figure of 606,000 was artificially high because of refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine and China's takeover of Hong Kong. But the facts simply now don't bear that out because 450,000 of this year's intake are from India, Pakistan and Nigeria. At least half of that number is made up from relatives of the visa applicants. And the reason the numbers are so high is because more immigrants with work visas are extending them and staying longer. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. And everyone but the Home Office and the government can see it. This country is being taken for a ride and is fast becoming the laughing stock of the world. And when you see what's happening in Ireland, in Dublin, on the streets of Dublin tonight, there are clearly people both in Ireland and in Britain uh, who deserve better. Lots of you have been getting in touch, of course. And let us now hear from a caller. Gordon is in Lincolnshire, wants to talk about hate speech. Hi, Gordon. Hi, good evening, Mike. Good evening, sir. What can I, what can I do for you? <clears throat> yeah, uh, I've, I've been watching your programme since the beginning this evening. Good. And I was very interested that uh, there's been an investigation into uh, hate speech yes. that is taking place in the various mosques yeah. uh, around the country. Uh, but <clears throat> I believe that what is happening is far more serious than just hate speech. Yes. Now, I've, I've jotted down a few... Uh, comments, okay. and I'd like, if I may... Please just, do. Uh, ...bring them to you. Right. Yes. I started off by saying the events now happening in Israel today is but a single manifestation of an undeclared war. Mm. The West, like it or not, is at war with the acolytes of Islam. The threat posed to our culture is made more deadly because the Islamic warriors now have access to modern weapons. Mm. Thus, the shield of science that protected Western civilization for so long is seriously compromised. Drones from Iran, suicide vests, uh, the, the Twin Towers, yeah. and so on. <clears throat> it's my perception that what is broadcast by hate preachers is not a religion. It is a murderous ideology yeah. that evangelizes by the sword. The prime tenet of what they uh, preach is that it is God's will there should be a worldwide caliphate and the Kafirs who refuse to convert will be beheaded. Mm. The Islamic warriors have no political aim, only the destruction of the Western culture. Yeah. How about that? I think that's absolutely spot on. I think it's very hard to argue with it. I mean, some of the mosques people are saying, well, of course, these are extremists and we don't tolerate it. But it's going on. And it's going on not just in one place, it's going on in multiple places. And that is the problem. Really good call. Really interesting yeah. uh, to, to hear your view on that. Thanks very much indeed. Um, 
John's in West Lothian. John, I'm going to come back to you because I'm not really going to have enough time to, to listen to you. So we'll come back to you in the next hour. Uh, so what we'll do instead is read uh, one or two um, comments that have come in um, on, the, uh, on the message board here. Hiding behind religion to speak hate is intolerable, says Dylan. Hugo says, laws should be enforced right across society. Unfortunately, police pick and choose what laws they will enact with certain individuals. Diane says, very concerning and frightening on so many levels. Um, Anne says, hate preachers should be charged by law and after serving their sentences, deported from this country. And Susan says, these kind of speeches should have been stopped a very long time ago. Now, uh, it is basically too late. I think all British people, says Marianne, should be very concerned when threatening behaviour comes from their religious leaders. And I think uh, that pretty much, very much sums it up. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now stand by, because I'll be getting to the bottom of why our immigration is a national disgrace, and I'll look at also whether there's any good news for veterans in the autumn statement. Don't go anywhere. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Good evening. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're on talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course we're on your smart speaker as well. Tonight, the results are in, and net migration is even higher than we thought. Uh, we added a city bigger than Newcastle last year. Colossal cracks are tearing Iceland apart. Could a volcanic eruption be on the way this weekend? And a Catholic college has succumbed to the woke virus, letting biological males study at an institution for women, for heaven's sake. Now, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones. We'll be taking more calls coming up later on in this hour. 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost you uh, the national rate. Later on in the show, we'll also be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. Before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at the Sun newspaper. Uh, and their front page uh, is here. Quick step, Danny. Danny Cipriani, uh, apparently getting, uh, shall we say, a little bit uh, close to one of his co-stars on the Strictly Christmas special, Joita Pristal. Uh, nine days after revealing uh, he'd broken up with his uh, wife. There we are. Also, they've got the number on the front page, 745,000 record level of migrants. But we'll also tell you about another story coming up a little bit later on. We'll just give you a little tease on that. Apparently, there was a power cut at a prison, of all places, uh, a prison down in West Sussex. And unfortunately, they didn't fix it for two days. And the real problem was that actually the gates were stuck open. This is the state of the prisons in this country. Uh, and so, of course, what do you think happened? The lags walked in and out at their leisure, and decided to sometimes bring contraband back, sometimes take other things out. Went on for two days, nobody bothered stopping them uh, because there was a power cut. Brilliant. Absolutely amazing. What can you do? Uh, we'll bring you more on all of those stories coming up a little bit later on with our great panel uh, in the show. Now, the Home Secretary, James Cleverly, says the government remains committed to reducing levels of legal migration. 
Well, it doesn't look like it. It comes as revised figures revealed net migration last year was much higher than previously thought, with 745,000 more people arriving in the UK than there were leaving. To discuss this, I'm joined by Carl Williams, Deputy Research Director at the Centre for Policy Studies, and Dr Mike Jones from Migration Watch. Welcome to both of you. I mean, it seems incredible, doesn't it? I mean, only probably a couple of weeks ago, Mike, we were talking about the, uh, the future of migration in this country and your report in which you said we might need something like 15 million Birminghams if we carry on, um, or 15 new Birminghams, rather, not 15 million Birminghams, by the time uh, we reach about six or seven or what, ten years from now. Um, and we had a sort of lawyer's view on the show at the time, uh, and he said, oh, this is all rubbish because it's all down to uh, Ukraine and Hong Kong. The only reason net migration is as high as it is is because of Ukraine and Hong Kong. Well, these, these figures show that that's not true. Well, that's correct, Mike. Um, if you break down the figures, the, there's actually been a, a decrease in the number of, you know, sort of BNO, Hong Kong visas, uh, resettlement visas for Ukrainians, but you look at the work visas, they're up to, you know, around 585,000. That's a 54% increase. Student visas, roughly 650,000. That's an increase of 8%. And 82,000 family visas, that's an increase of 117%. Sorry to say this, but um, the Conservative Party are now a party of mass immigration. And I'm not saying that in a you know, a partisan way. Yeah. That's just a statement. But... No, listen, I think it's very, very hard to argue with any of that, isn't it? Carl, I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you. Whatever the Conservative Party might say about wanting to stop the boats and wanting to clamp down on immigration, when they came into power in 2019, they'd already been in, you know, for six years, even if you count the Lib Dem sort of coalition scenario. I mean, the point is, is that it was only 230,000, the net migration figure in 2019, and it's now tripled. So I, how they can actually stand there and say that we're the party of controlling immigration, I don't know. Well, indeed. And in fact, the revised ONS figures, they've revised some of the historical data too. Uh, and the 2019 level is only, I think, 184,000 now. Right. Um, so based on their manifesto promise in 2019 of overall numbers will come down, uh, if they're going to get to that, they're going to have to cut numbers by 75% on the what we saw last year. Right. And they have this kind of mantra, don't they, that, well, these are people coming that we need to work here, so we give these work visas to people to work in the NHS because without them we can't make the NHS work. Well, the NHS doesn't work anyway, whether they bring people in or not. And what seems to be happening from the figures that I've seen is that there's a lot more... Uh, dependents coming now. So that one figure that I saw, for example, the number of Indian workers that came in, uh, 35,091 uh, into the healthcare service, but they brought 47,400 relatives. I mean, that seems extraordinary. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it does make a slight mockery of some of the assumptions around how migration will drive growth. Yeah. Um, but there, there is a deeper flaw to that narrative. I mean, we've had the last 10, 15 years, the highest levels of migration in British history ever. Um, this has also coincided with the lowest period of productivity growth in 200 years, according to economic historians. I mean, clearly migration is not the only factor at play here, but it, right. you just can't ignore that. Well, you can't, because, I mean, let's face it, Mike, if we talk about the, uh, the numbers, the sheer numbers of people now living um, and working or not working in this country, you know, there has to be some correlation to that and the difficulty with, with people getting housing, people getting into schools, people getting appointments with doctors, you know, there may be plenty of um, immigrants working in the NHS, but there's more immigrants trying to get um, seen by the NHS, aren't there? Well, um, you know, the, the, the consequences of this unchecked immigration are dire. 
you know, if, if the net migration trend persists, you know, we at Migration Watch, um, you know, project that Britain's population could skyrocket to 85 million by 2046. Mm. And that's equivalent to 18 new Birmingham's, not 15. Yeah. So um, our, our previous um, projections were conservative by comparison. And, you know, such growth will exert intolerable pressure on, you know, land, housing, transportation and public infrastructure. And, um, you know, you're, you're looking at many more GP surgeries, roads, uh, hospitals, um, police stations, uh, universities, colleges and so on that will have to be built as a result of this. Right. And has there been some suggestion, Carl, that the, the government is going to limit in the future some of the access that, they, that, that currently is, is, is achievable. For example, I, I've been speaking um, since Mike and I have been talking for the last few weeks about how they blocked a lot of applications from Bangladesh now for business courses because they worked out an awful lot of people from Bangladesh were getting visas, starting the courses and not finishing them. So now that's considered to be a bit of a scam. They've surely got to do something about all these relatives coming. Absolutely. I mean, they, they have started on that. So from January this year... Um, most classes of students won't be able to bring their dependents with them. Um, but, you know, that will shave a bit off the overall numbers. But the Department of Education has a, a long-term education right. strategy for universities. And the goal there is to get foreign students up to 600,000. So even if you're cutting the dependents, you still want to boost the overall right. numbers. So right. they're kind of committed to, to growing migration. And what about the financial figures, Mike? We hear from those who support mass migration, that, you know, this is all good for the country because uh, if you're a student from uh, overseas, you bring loads of money with you, you might bring uh, some, some other people from members of your family, you'll be, you know, you'll be spending the money. But if people are staying here longer than the visa that they've got allows them to do, then, you know, surely that's a massive problem, isn't it? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at the, the, the cohorts who are arriving in the UK at the moment, they're from outside of the European Union mm. or, or outside of the European Economic Area, which, you know, is abbreviated uh, non-EEA. And if you look at previous studies, for example, you know, Oxford Economics, they did a study in 2018. Non-EE mi migrants were a, a nine billion drain on the economy. Um, you know, we at Migration Watch did a study in 2016. We showed they were a net drain of 15.6 billion. And, uh, you know, Dustman and Frattini, two academics, they did a study in 2014 and they showed over a 17 year period, uh, non EEA migrants were 118 billion drain on the economy. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a sort of myth here that. Uh, you know, immigrants are a net economic benefit. I mean, at the end of the day, a larger population will increase GDP because you have more people, but ultimately economic growth is dependent on GDP per person mm. or what they call per capita. Yeah. So ultimately it's about productivity. It's it's more about quality rather than quantity. But if, if you do increase the numbers at, at an unsustainable rate, you are going to impose enormous pressure on, on transport, housing, public infrastructure and public services. And, you know, th th this can cause enormous problems in terms of productivity yeah. and, and what the Treasury spend their money on. And, and again, Carl, we hear all the time, don't we, from, from sort of government ministers and also from, from, you know, sort of NGOs and charities. Well, you know, 
of course, there are some people who come here illegally on the small boats, but it's a very small number. But that now ceases to be a small number. There's about 100,000 people that have come that way. Um, it looks very much like they're not going to be able to send any of them back anywhere, wherever they've come from. It looks very much like it's going to cost billions and billions of pounds a year to house them. Um, you know, there's no... There's, I don't, I, you'd have to be insane to argue that this is good for Britain, wouldn't you? Well, it's a struggle to see how there is any fiscal or economic upside to yeah. illegal migration in particular. Yeah. Um, and I think, as Michael's saying, on the legal migration front, most people accept, yes, there is some level of migration which is good. Mm. Um, but at these levels, 745,000 a year, even if that drops away to 600,000 a year, um, 90% of those people will come just to England, right. predominantly London and the southeast. This is the area where the pressures on housing, on infrastructure is already mm. it's most acute. Uh, and what this ultimately means is declining living standards for British people. Right. And it's where many people want to live because that's where the work is and all of that. But, you know, people say that their towns and their cities, whether they be in, in the southeast or the north or seaside towns or in Wales... I mean, somebody's pointed out today uh, on Talk TV that um, the, the, the number alone, the 745,000, is about a quarter of Wales' entire population. So in four years, you've, you can repopulate Wales if this carries on. Um, but also people say... They don't feel as though the country is the same country that they were living in 20 years ago. We've seen what's happened in Ireland tonight. We still don't really know exactly what that's all about. But it's about a great deal of frustration to do with migrant problems that they've got. Um, and they've just snapped. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking sort of the broader cultural or social cohesion questions, we've seen an element of this uh, since early October, the mm. pro-Palestine marches in London and the yeah. radical fringes around that. Right. It is, it's a very strange time uh, to be around. But, Mike, I think you're going to be watching uh, these numbers go up for some years to come. And I'm sure I'll be talking to both of you uh, very, very much more than we just did. But thank you very much indeed. Carl Williams and Dr Mike Jones there uh, from Migration Watch. Um, now, uh, how about this? She's never exactly been the nation's favourite broadcaster. I mean, who can forget the time she told the mother of a missing child live on Sky TV that the police were now conducting a murder hunt? Or when she wrestled with fellow journalists outside a court and grabbed a rival by the throat? Or when she was suspended from Sky News for partying with Beth Rigby during Covid restrictions while constantly haranguing government ministers for misbehaving? Who could we be talking about? It must only be one person, the veteran newsreader Kay Burley. Today, though, she really outdid herself. Have a look at this. I was speaking to a hostage negotiator this morning. He made the comparison between the 50 hostages, hostages that Hamas has promised, um, promised to release as opposed to the 150 prisoners that are Palestinians that Israel has said that it will release. And he made the comp comparison between the numbers and the fact that does Israel not think that Palestinian lives are valued as highly as Israeli lives? That is an astonishing accusation. If we could release one prisoner for every one hostage, we would obviously do that. We're operating in horrific circumstances. We're not choosing to release these prisoners who have blood on their hands. We are talking about people who have been convicted of stabbing and shooting attacks. Notice the question of proportionality doesn't interest Palestinian supporters when they are able to get more of their prisoners out. But really, it is outrageous to suggest that the fact that we are willing to release prisoners who are convicted of terrorism offences, more of them than we are getting our own innocent children back, somehow suggests that we don't care about Palestinian lives. Really, that's a disgusting accusation. A disgusting accusation indeed. Elon Levi is a spokesman for the Israeli government who was being grilled by Kay this morning. He later declared himself to have been made speechless, but only for a minute. 
Even social media was shocked. And before long, Kay Burley was trending on X, with many people aghast that a joke a few days ago about the media's willingness to believe Hamas lies actually became reality on Sky News. Tough questioning's one thing. Giving up your humanity, well, that's just something else. And as a parent, I know that, and so should she. Kay Burley's been at Sky for 35 years. Maybe it's time for her to finally hang up the microphone. And now, time for the veterans' voice, where we dedicate time to the issues affecting veterans uh, and their families. With me in the studio, I've got British Army veteran and, of course, uh, the man uh, that runs Force Select, Hugh Andre. Hugh, very good uh, evening to you. Good evening, Mike. Welcome back. Um, we saw you last week, just after Armistice yep. Day weekend. We've got lots of kind of military-style um, conversations going on tonight with the, the, the handover of hostages, hopefully tomorrow, between Hamas and... Um, and Israel. But we also had the, the autumn statement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's what we're going to look at tonight and yeah. see what it's going to do, if anything, uh, for veterans, because yeah. uh, that's what we need to know. So what can you tell us? Well, I, yeah, absolutely. There were a couple of things which uh, were highlighted. And uh, I just want to, at this point, say, you know, a lot of this was driven by the Veterans Minister, Johnny Mercer. Yeah. You know, Johnny comes in for a slating from time to time. And that, that's fair. He's put his head up above the parapet. Yeah. Um, but he's dedicated the last three or four years, you know, it's his passion, it's his purpose yeah. for supporting veterans. It's not easy working in government. You know that. Right. Anyone who has done uh, is familiar with that. Well, he um, has to defend things that you might not agree yeah, with. Yeah, and look, there's going to be a lot of disgruntled people. I mean, my humble opinion is that veterans, like the armed forces, are a cross-party responsibility. Mm. I'd love to see the Office for Veterans Affairs as a cross-party responsibility with members from all parties yeah. in there contributing. That's in my little fantasy world, but the reality right. is that that's what I'd like to see. But, um, you know, as I said to other people, if anyone thinks they can do a better job than Mr Mercer, step forward and put your hand right. up. Right. He's not perfect. It's not perfect. We understand that. Mm. But you know what? He... he up until three years ago, we didn't have an office for Veterans yeah. Affairs. They had one in the US and Canada after the Vietnam War. Right. So, you know, full credit. But that's the him. other thing, you know, is that you're fighting for, for the attention of, of, of an awful lot of, of, of people in an organisation which has got an awful lot of priorities. Yeah, and look, there's, uh, you know, my reckoning is about 3.68 to 4 million veterans and their families and their ex-wives yeah. and their dependents. And if anyone wants to, you know, ask me about that, got that number from feel free to email me and yeah. i'll give you a breakdown so there's an awful lot of people to look after you know many with their own issues and problems and challenges so you know not all of whom are in need of help no and actually with, with, do you know what six percent yeah. i believe six percent is a number of those right. who are, are effectively you know in trouble yes yeah i i doubt you know that's any any higher than Retired police officers, yeah. ambulance right. drivers, etc. Yeah. So, what did um, Mr. Mercy get through? And you know, he's driven this. So, the first thing is, and I think employers need to be really aware of this: that yeah. the the national insurance holiday has been extended by twelve months. Yes. Um, a lot of the companies that we recruit veterans for are not aware of this. Okay. But effectively, if they take someone a service lever, that's someone coming out of the military. Mm. And there are between fifteen and twenty thousand a year. Right. They do not have to pay any national insurance, regardless for of where months. they work. Correct, as long as it's right. their first job or within their first twelve months. Yeah. So you know, someone earning fifty thousand pounds a year—that's a saving of six thousand pounds for right. an employer. Right. That's a lot of money for them to reinvest that is in a lot training and elsewhere. Yeah. So you know, big tick. That's mm. been extended for twelve months. Um, what was a, a, a new addition is a ten million 
that um, has been uh, allotted to support the Veterans Places Pathway and People Programme. Right. Now, what, what um, Mr Mercer has done here is he has got a lump of money where, whereby uh, grants, 10 grants of up to 800,000 will be offered to organisations that come together and work together in various regions of the country to support those who need supporting. Right. Yeah, so, you know, if you've got a great idea, yeah, if you're, you know, something you want to do is support veterans, mm. then think about that, not in isolation, but as a, as, as a complete offering right. of, of how to look after individuals. Right. And so know, this would be a grant that would be paid to a group of... Uh, or an yeah, I mean... It's got I, a decent plan, as it were. Yeah, and, 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 you know, veteran support, mental health support, etc. it's not something in isolation. You know, it's what we'd call a sort of a, a cradle-to-grave thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are different phases right. and different... within the, the, the pathway mm. of mental health. And I know, because I've been on a... Uh, 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 military mental health pathway, right. and it, it's really good. Right. Um, they lack, of course, the resource, mm. etc. But if if people out there, organisations out there, are prepared to work together mm. and say, look, we think that you know, with with housing and accommodation, with social care, with mental health therapy and support, etc., we could perhaps put them into employment, right. whereby we support them. That's the sort of thing that I believe. That we're looking okay. for. Because we had some news about Badger this week as well, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, that was a down. And those who've been watching this programme for the last 20 yeah. episodes right. now will know that. Is it really? Blimey. It will know that um, Badger, uh, Darren Edge, um, runs the Noon Craig Veterans Retreat. Which was a very, very worthwhile organisation. He's done right? it off his own back. Uh, this year alone, he's looked after about a dozen homeless veterans and veterans in trouble. Mm. And he's even saved the life of one yes. who was trying to commit suicide. Yes, I remember. And, you know, you couldn't write the script, Mike, but yesterday he was evicted. It's shocking, isn't it? So Badger, the individual who supports and helps the homeless, mm. is now homeless himself. Right. That's wrong. Right. He's Only now because... living under an arch, yeah. by the way. In is Hel he really? Near Helston, down oh, in Cornwall. Right. So if anyone's out there and they've got a plot of land and we keep banging on about it... Yeah. You know, he, he is still committed to supporting homeless veterans through, you know, natural remedies, right. being outside. But he needs a place to do it. But he needs a place to do yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll revisit that on social media as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing that um, the Veterans Minister reiterated, and I get asked about this quite a lot, is the Veterans ID card. Right. Now, the Veterans ID card is has been issued to service leavers since, I think, 2017, 2018. There's about fifteen or 20,000 a year who leave the armed forces. Um, and that is uh, effectively an ID card to prove that they served our country. Yes. And that should therefore entitle them to get in to the, sort of on, on, onto the housing and right. accommodation chain, to, to use social services, to get a doctor, mm. etc. Um, now, I, I noticed in, in, in Parliament this year, uh, this week, Johnny Mercer has been given a hard time by Labour, you know, and they, they just didn't know their subject matter. You know, it is currently being beta tested. You know, the technology has to work. Right. Um, they then have to find out all the individuals. But I, you know, by January next year, they're looking at 10,000 ID cards a month, increasing each month. Once the technology works, and once an individual 
can be proven as someone who's served, right. which is a nice segue onto things like veterans' discounts. Now, at the moment, there are hundreds, hundreds of companies and organisations offering veterans' discounts mm. um, because they can sell something yeah, right. at a slight discount. But the problem is, how do any of them know that the person who's benefiting, mm. profiteering, is a veteran? Yes. When we haven't actually got You've any got no way, way to prove it. Yeah, of proving right. that they are. Yeah. So I, I would just, you know, put out a little bit of a warning to all those organisations and companies that are selling their products, services, et cetera, et cetera, that you need to think very long and hard yeah. about what you're offering and to whom. Because until you can verify 100% that that person who is going to be using your products, you're going to be giving a discount to is in the armed forces, you don't actually know. You know, and I think the reality is, if you and I went and parked in the disabled space yes. and we put a blue badge right. in the window, which we weren't entitled to, we'd soon feel our collar being tugged yeah, quite right by the too. law. And quite, quite right, right too. too. Okay. All good. Well, listen, uh, it's a bit short tonight. I'm sorry about that, Hugh, but we've got a massively busy night going on. But thank you for well, those who are Steve. watching. It's um, permanent send. It's absolutely <laughs> good. Um, it's absolutely good. Hugh Andre there uh, from Force Select, and we'll be back with more from Veterans Voice, of course, uh, as as and when uh, there's every every reason to talk about it. Uh, you're watching Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Don't move a muscle though, because next up, uh, I'm going to have the latest from Iceland as an eruption edges closer, and Sky Sports are planning on censoring Everton fans on Sunday. We'll get all the details coming up. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's been a two weeks since Grindavik in Iceland was evacuated over the threat of a, vol a volcanic eruption. And the evacuation zone is still dangerous, apparently. Current conditions uh, leaving just a few minutes warning of a feared a volcano going off. Our correspondent Nick Ellaby is at the eye uh, of that particular volcano. He sent us this update. Good evening, Mike. It's eerily quiet in the town of Grindavik today. The silence because of last night's snows and the fact that nobody is here in this fishing town that was evacuated because of a threat of a possible eruption in the town itself. That silence only broken by the odd car going past. Families have been let in today with a bit more time to try and empty their houses. The town was evacuated just over a week ago, but now the danger threat has been downgraded by the authorities here from emergency just to danger, which means that there is less likely to be an eruption in the town itself. They were worried that lava could come through this crack. You can see this giant fissure that's opened up in the town. It runs all the way through the town. Some 20 houses are damaged, and a lot of those properties were probably not salvageable. Also, the sewage system and the uh, underground heating pipes have been shattered. That's the steam that you can see rising out of that, that crack. Now, I spoke to the Professor Emeritus of Geophysics at the University of Iceland today, Patel Einarsson, and he told me because of the new volcanic activity in this area of southwest Iceland, he's concerned about more of these fissures could open up near the capital city of Reykjavik, some 20 kilometres away, and end up displacing more Icelandic people. Well, we, we have to remember that this uh, activity now is just a one chapter in a long, long story. That's already four years long and is likely to, to last uh, a lot longer in, in the future. So, uh, and it is likely to involve 
several volcanic systems, not just one volcano. We have already in this four years, in these four years, uh, we've had activity in at least three volcanic systems, if if not more. And uh, so it is really a, a much more uh, widespread activity that we are worried about and, uh, than, than just this thing in Grindavik now. Lava eruptions within towns are not likely outside Grindavik. Uh, we have to worry about other things like uh, fissure activity. There is quite a lot of fissuring that uh, accompanies these dike injections. So if we have a dike injection along some of these fissure swarms that we have on the peninsula, that might be a, a serious event by itself, even though no eruption comes out. So an eruption may not even be the most serious event we expect. So experts concerned about renewed volcanic activity in this part of southwest Iceland, which the volcanic systems here were dormant until 2021 for 800 years. But now the authorities are talking about decades of volcanic activity. And the people in this town of Grindavik, who have moved either to Reykjavik or towns nearby, are really split into three camps. One group, often the people that have arrived most recently, they're probably never coming back. People are telling me they're too scared to return to their homes. There's another group that a psychologist at the Red Cross has told me are kind of numb at the moment and they're unsure what they're going to do. And then there's another quite big group of very hardy souls whose families have lived in this fishing town for decades and they are going to stay and rebuild their homes and rebuild their lives despite the threat of more volcanic eruptions in the area, Mike. Nick, thanks very much indeed. Um, troubling times, because, I mean, a lot of people are worried as well that, that, that if there is a big volcanic eruption, that it might do the same thing as it did uh, before and create this massive uh, ash cloud, which will completely make it impossible for anyone to go anywhere, uh, which is what happened to a lot of people the last time that uh, went off. Uh, but you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, now it's time for this. The world of work. Some people think single-sex education is the best way to teach young men and women. Indeed, many parents thank their lucky stars that their children didn't go to mixed schools until they entered the sixth form. But over in America, things are changing. There have always been Catholic and other religious schools in the USA, and they were always private. And some seats of higher education also chose to be single-sex as well. Fewer distractions for the undergraduates, you see. But they're breaking that particular mould in St Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana. And I can't say it like that because that's how they say it. Because for the first time in their history, the Catholic women's institution is letting men in. Nothing wrong with that, you might say. Except, of course, it's not true. They're only letting men in if they identify as women. Specifically, they will consider applicants, in their words, whose sex assigned at birth is female or who consistently live and identify as women. There it is again. What exactly does that even mean? How do you live as a woman and how do you prove that you live as a woman? Now, of course, St Mary's is getting slammed for betraying Catholic values, abandoning their faith and gaslighting and mistreating women. One student said, no woman should be forced to share a bathroom or living quarters with a man. Amen to that. I'm afraid it's another case of the world of woke going mad. The world of woke. 
Now, we've got plenty of messages coming in uh, from all of you out there about whether or not you trust the government to fix the migrant crisis. We'll be looking at the front pages. The Telegraph's got a migrant story on the front page, of course, and we'll be bringing you all of those uh, front pages very shortly. But let's hear first from a caller, uh, who is Don in Buckinghamshire, wants to talk about it. Hi, Don. Uh, good evening, young man. I've been waiting quite some while. I'm very sorry to keep you waiting. What can I do for you? I always my wife says it's always worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. What no, do you want to so, say, Don? No, what do I want to say? Well, I want, I'll just tell you about an experience. I'm 90 years of age. Right. Regular soldier, served in Korea and all over the place. And uh, last week, the doctor admitted me to hospital. I waited four hours for the ambulance. I got to the hospital. They put me in a wheelchair. Right. Uh, because I, I can't walk, I, I must have a wheelchair. Right. Um, I was 15 hours sat in that wheelchair. 15 hours? 15 hours. Crikey. With no, nothing to eat. I, I asked to go to the toilet several times. No one was available to take me, so therefore I had to wet my pants two times. Goodness me. I, I sent, fortunately, my son was in the area and he brought me a couple of changes of clothes. But that was absolutely disgusting. That's 15 awful. 15 hours. In a wheelchair, right. a 70-year-old ex-soldier, a 90-year-old ex-soldier, right. I thought it was absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And the trouble is, there's too many people coming over here. Yeah. It's, it's not you people saying they can do this and they can do that. We just haven't got the room. No. We haven't got the schools. We haven't got the hospitals. No. We've not got the police force. We're not, we've not enough. So it's time it came to an end. And how it's going to do, I don't know. No. They've got to stop it, though, haven't they? It doesn't make any sense for more and more people. If we get 375,000 people a year coming here legally, you know, it's just madness. Yeah, it's terrible. Absolutely. I don't, I, I don't know the end, apart from sinking the right. boat, but that's... OK. Well, listen, Don, really appreciate your, your call. Thanks for waiting, and God bless you uh, for being a veteran and for sitting through that dreadful experience with the NHS, which is indeed not fit for purpose, regardless of how many people they bring in from overseas to apparently run it into the ground. John's in West Lothian, wants to talk about immigration. Hi, John. Good evening, Mike. Glad to see you're in the pink tonight. I am indeed. Thank you very much. Well spotted. What can I do for you? Um, immigration. Yes. Well, I think that uh, we, we talked about numbers, and it's not just one year, two years, three years. This has been going on for a long time. Yeah. And we're, and we're in danger of changing the whole fabric of this country. Yeah. And the uh, section that you had tonight on, on the, the uh, talks that have been made in mosques, mm. if, if, I, you know, if, if we were to do that as a Scot against English people, we would be in court before our feet could touch the ground. Exactly. You know, the, and the people that's coming to this country, we don't know why they're here. We don't know what their purpose is. And unless something is done about it, and, and I don't mean in five years or ten years, I mean now, yeah. we, we will be you know, setting up a, a situation that we will not be able to contain. Now, we don't know all the facts about Dublin, but it could happen there. It's yeah. happened in France. It's happened elsewhere. Yeah. We actually need to take control and, you know, the knock-on effect is obviously things that you've also talked about, housing, health, mm. and everything else. But the, fab it, the basic thing that, you know, concerns me is the actual fabric of the country going forward, yes. that we're going to fundamentally change it. And, you know, my grandchildren and their, their children, what sort of country are they going to 
take, you know, have in the yeah. future. No, I'm, we, I'm we like you. I mean, I've got, I've got young kids um, and they're teenagers now. I don't know what this country's going to be like in 10 years' time. It's, it's really quite a worry. And you can see from what's happening in Dublin, as you say, we don't know exactly quite what that's all about yet, but we, we certainly know what they think it's about. Um, and you can see that there's an awful lot of people who are very tense and very nervous and very worried. Thank you very much indeed, John. Let's hear now from Vic, uh, who's in the West Midlands. Hello, Vic. Hello, Graham. Hi, how are you doing? Um, yeah, I do send some texting occasionally. Yes. And, um, but one that got me was all these preachers now. Yeah. Whatever they're saying in the mosques, what are they saying in private? Yeah. And then what's being saying, what are they saying in the EU? Yeah. Well... Because, you know, if they're preaching it over here, they must be preaching it all over Europe. Yeah, I don't suspect that we are alone in, in Britain as having um, people who are saying extreme things inside of mosques um, quite openly because it's not that difficult to find out what they're saying. An awful lot of what they're saying is also being published on websites. When we had, I think, one of the mosques saying, oh, yes, we're going to urgently investigate what's happened here, the statements that these guys were making were already published on their website. Yeah, well, I, I truly believe what Israel's doing to the Palestinians is a bit much now with all the bombing. They, mm. they, they've got their, whatever you call it, kill ratio up. Yeah. But it, it's about time now they, they pull back. And well, Hamas they're about to do that, apparently. ..need to be eradicated. Yeah, well, they are about to do that, Vic, and they're about to do it tomorrow at 5am. But let's see whether that makes any difference, because who knows? what the response is going to be from Hamas. Don't forget, an organisation that does not believe that Israel as a nation-state should even exist. Let's hear from Wayne. Hello. Hello, Wayne. Good evening, Mike. How are you? Very well, sir. What can I do for you? Well, I'd like to say, the thing is, Mike, and there is a story I've got to tell you here. Well, the first thing I'll say, you'll never know who your neighbour is. Yeah. Um, There's an incident about nine years ago, uh, a little... A little a legal immigrant had mm. managed to rent a, uh, some flats next door to my daughter where her business was, she newborn baby. Right. Uh, There's lots of trouble over a period of time. I'll cook to the mustard. My daughter and um, son-in-law and the baby went off for lunch one evening. On the way back, this lad was trying to get into the baby's nursery. Right. So they managed to grab hold of him and um, the police come and once they found his prints, he was wanted for murder. Blimey. Uh, what, in was, this country? No, no, no. But once they did the, uh, the, the, the several tests on him, then they found out that he was wanted for murder and he absconded to this country. Right. And, uh, yeah. and what I'm trying to stress is you... You don't know who your neighbour's going to be because no. they're not really getting vetted, Mike. Well, that's the problem. And an awful lot of people who are coming here illegally are arriving without any papers, without any identification. Nobody knows who they are, but they still get let in, and that is really a worry. And if they go through the system, they will eventually be given housing of some kind. And the system is just absolutely worthless and useless. But thank you very much, oh, Wayne, right. for your call. Um, you, we've got to move on because we've got Ben Lazarus here and we're going to go through some of the stories in the papers. We've got to talk about some of the other things that have been going on. Immigration, very much a, a very big, big story tonight, not least because of what's been going on uh, over in uh, the Netherlands, not least because of Ireland, and not least because of the new figures uh, from the Home Office. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Do not go anywhere.
Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Joining me now, uh, we're going to be looking at the front pages and some of the other stories inside the papers. The Spectator's Ben Lazarus. Ben, uh, very good evening to you. It's been a lively night because uh, we've also been tracking what's been going on in Ireland, what's been tracking, uh, tracking what's going on in uh, Israel and the uh, impending release of some of the hostages. But, but I guess we should kick off uh, the papers with the front page of the Daily Telegraph because it kind of encapsulates an awful lot of what we've been looking at. Cabinet pressure on Sunak to slash migrations, the front page of the Daily Telegraph, demands for a cap on foreign NHS and care worker visas. And this is exactly what we've been talking about tonight, that these new figures that came out from the ONS, 745,000 legal, um, uh, a, a legal sort of surge in, in immigration, and many of them coming to work and coming to study. Yes. Um, I mean, it's a huge figure. Yeah. Um, Much bigger than they said it would be. Yes. And... During the same period in America, it wasn't much more than a million. Right. You think America's a country that's 40 times as large yes. as Britain. Um, but we've kind of got ourselves in this trap where we have an aging population. We have uh, a large population in comparison to the sort of infrastructure we have right. set up. I mean, it's a very dense population, isn't it? Yes. And then, so we, you know, we need people to be treated in the NHS. The NHS is obviously struggling massively. We have a social care crisis, so yeah. we need... Uh, social care workers, but that at the same time means we need to import more and more people. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that we probably do need to tackle is the uh, out-of-work benefits. It's about right. five, more than five million Which people. Which is what the Tories are pledging to do. Yes. Um, but they won't suddenly become people that can work in the NHS or care care, say a care system, are they? No. And, and much of the economy has sort of got dependent on migration, mm. right? So, I mean, one of the big factors in, this, in these figures would be um, students yeah. and students... Uh, uh, dependencies, but the universities would argue their their sort of business models yeah. entirely dependent on they having need, They students. need the money, but this is the trouble, isn't it? Because the business of, of, of education is now just that; it's a business, and they yes. need more and more. It's just sort of a, a, a crocodile that can never stop being fed because you just have to put more and more money into it, and they seem to be, you know, incapable of of being able to say, "Oh, that's actually enough." And the other problem, it seems to me, is that um, what we've discovered is there's more and more people now overstaying the uh, student visas and the work visas, which is why the figure's bigger, and more and more people bringing dependents with them, which is also quite a big number. You know, it's as many as, you know, 50-50 sometimes. If you've got students coming with 50, you know, 50% of the number of people coming as students are also family members. Yeah, and you have to ask what the sort of net benefit is. Right. If you've got someone coming over to study at a, a university that might not ne necessarily be that prestigious... Yeah. For a course, it isn't going to offer that much right. in the long term economically, and then they're bringing over a wife, maybe a couple of children. Yeah. Those are again costs. Certainly, yeah, because we, we get told all the time by the kind of the lefty lawyer brigade, oh yeah, but you know they're basically bringing money into the country, they're generating income for the GDP of, of the nation. Well, only if they're coming on their own, not if they're coming with three or four people. Mm. You know, it doesn't work like that. Uh, Times does something similar. Uh, they've got migration figures piled pressure on PM to act. I guess the next question would be to you, uh, Ben. What can he actually do? I mean, he can limit... I believe that they're, they're talking about limiting uh, the numbers of, of dependents that can come to maybe one rather than bringing sort of three or four. Um, but, I mean, up to now, Sunak has been proven to be not particularly um, capable of doing anything about immigration. Yes. Well, this is where the, he's sort of caught in a trap because, um, I mean, one of the easy things... Not easy things to tackle, but one of the uh, large blocks within immigration stats yeah. is social care workers and right. NHS workers. Yeah. But they're needed because they, they need... They, well, as they we heard from our last call, we'll take more calls, by the way, if you want to call in, you can still get through 03444991000. Um, 
five hours uh, waiting uh, to be seen. You know, unbelievable. The, the number of people that I talk to now who say, yeah, well, I went into hospital for whatever it was, but they were stuck there for such a long time that it's, not, it's, it's, it's barely human. Yeah, and again, it isn't just the NHS that's creaking. I mean, if you were to talk to people about getting school places or, you know, GP appointments, yeah. whatever it is, it, it feels like nothing in the country right. is actually functioning. The roads are all full, you know, there's no housing, you mm. can't get anywhere, you know, it's really, really weird. A story that broke for us late last night when we were here, a uh, front-page picture of tele on the Telegraph, Taste of Victory for here, Wild Wilders, the Dutch hard-right politician, they're calling him, leader of the Freedom Party, celebrates at Parliament, looks like he's got a glass of champagne. Um doubling the party's share from elections in 2021. All of this is feeding into the same argument, isn't it? Because um, people see Amsterdam and they think, oh, it's a very liberal kind of place. People get stoned, they hang out, they listen to Eric Clapton. You know, they're very nice people. Um, it, well, in the, in the shires, if you like, of, of the Netherlands, it's a very different story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, clearly, I mean, he's been around a long time. In a couple of decades, he's mm. been, he's been a, a figure and um, uh, his party's, uh, you know, very sort of, uh, what, what we'd call it Islamophobic. Yeah. I, mean, he, 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 he... I mean, apparently he watered it all down a bit for this particular election. He, he kind of moved away from the shutting down of all mosques yes. argument that he used to make, and he kind of didn't say that. But nevertheless, there's clearly a great feeling of um, anti-EU sentiment, anti-immigrant sentiment, anti-kind of, you know, net zero sentiment going you, on. You have to wonder with the recent uh, protests, because they had them in, in Holland as, as, as well as, yeah. uh, you know, like we saw on the streets of London, uh, the sort of pro-Palestinian marches, how much of that might have fed into the anti-immigration stance yeah. in, in that election? Right, absolutely right. And, and, and secondly, just talking about the stuff that was going on in Ireland, I, uh, the Times touches on that. They've got a bit on the front page. Dublin street violence after knife attack on children. Um, basically, the violence started after a man attacked children leaving an Irish language primary school shortly after lunchtime. Witnesses described absolute bedlam. A man in his 50s was arrested after being wrestled to the ground by onlookers. He stabbed three children and a woman. Um, they all ended up in hospital. He's, I think, still in hospital. Um, but a terrible scene on, on the streets. I mean, it really looked like one of those riot scenes from, you know, um, the, the Toxteth riots or the, or the Tottenham riots. Yes. Um... Not something we've seen for, for a long time. No. Um, I mean, the details aren't exactly entirely it's clear. It's not clear whether... No. I mean, the reason they appear to be rioting is because they've been told that they're, they're under the impression that the person who was the knife attacker is an illegal migrant. But, you know, the police have not confirmed that, but the police haven't denied it either. No. Which doesn't help. Um, and certainly the, the people on the street seem to be appearing to... Um, yeah. Uh, ...believe that's the case. I mean, I think I saw... Uh, there's a clip on Twitter doing the rounds of... a. Of a, a, you know, obviously that should be said with a health warning, but of a, a, a migrant hotel, a hotel hosting yes, migrants set on been fire. Set on fire. Yeah. yeah, and so I mean, with buses and police cars and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's it's a grim scene, and we'll probably have to look into it some more over the course of the next twenty four hours. Great story in the Sun uh, on page four. Uh, it's coming from uh, the new Home Secretary James Cleverly. He's, he decided to set out his stall pretty early on. Uh, he, so he says he's sorry I called a Labour MP a shit. I mean, sorry for the, uh, for, the, for the word being fully called out this time, and I think we can, though. Um, apparently, he was, he was, he was um, under pressure because it was said that he had described Alex Cunningham's Stockton North constituency uh, as... Um, I'm not going to say what he called that, uh, but it involves the, 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 the S word as well. Um, but he says, no, he didn't do that. He was actually referring to the Labour MP himself as a shit. Yes, um... Yeah, it's not very parliamentary language, is it? No, slightly unexpected. <laughs> um, and he's, he's only a few days into the job. So, right. Um, 
Yeah, I can't imagine his. Uh, I can't imagine Sunak is that impressed with uh, with such an outburst. He doesn't really need this, does he? I mean, particularly no. with the new job. Um, apparently, um, he's made an apology, and uh, as, as according to well, who are we here? According to um, Alex Cunningham. Um, he apologises for his unparliamentary language, as was made clear yesterday. He would never criticise Stockton. He has campaigned in Stockton, and he is clear that it is a great place. That's that's coming from uh, from the people, the good people of uh, of his office, I suppose, right? Yes. Well, I guess they also, you know, it's it's, it's an area that's part of the uh, the Red Wall. Yes. Um, you know, they're not going to want to. Well, I think Stockton on Tees North is a Tory seat. I think they won it actually. Mm. Uh, from Labour during the last election. Um, number 10 said, that, this is worrying, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak continues to have confidence in Mr Cleverly. That's what he said about Suella Braverman on the Friday and then he fired her on the Monday. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not sure what you say about that. Uh, there's another funny one here in The Sun as well, uh, which is on their page 24. Uh, I mentioned it a bit earlier in the show. Um, a power cut and, a, and an open prison, Ford open prison in West Sussex, which is quite often in the news. This is a place where they put people uh, who might have done something really terrible, but they're kind of ready to possibly, you know, transition back into society. But apparently, um, warders were too scared to patrol in the dark after a power cut, and the gates were open. And so basically, the CCTV didn't work, the lights didn't work, and people just came and went as they pleased. Yeah, I think prisons are another aspect of our... Um doesn't sound much like a prison, does it? Yes, they're also creaking along with the NHS schools. Yeah. And, and, and also, of course, they didn't just wander out and probably do what they wanted. They managed to smuggle in contraband, including two Bowie knives, 22 litres of Jamaican... 22 litres of Jamaican rum, drugs and 16 iPhones. It sounded like they probably ended up having quite a party, 22 <laughs> litres of uh, That's of extraordinary, stuff. isn't it? <laughs> but they did have to go without lights and hot water. Um, and 400 of them were very, very upset and very incensed. It does seem mad, doesn't it? Absolutely crazy that you can't, you can't even run a prison. Um, I suppose we should mention on the front page of the Telegraph, there's a suggestion that there's speculation now at the Treasury uh, that there might be a snap election held. I can't imagine why they'd have a snap election. Yes, I, I think this came from uh, Jeremy Hunt uh, saying on the LBC earlier that right. um, he was going to bring forward the budget potentially, or he didn't deny that he right. was going to bring it forward. Yeah. which led to people speculating uh, the only reason to do that is if you wanted to hold an, an, an election earlier. Right. Um, I guess it's the idea if, if people feel a bit richer after his budget in the new year, they might... I don't then... know anyone that said I'm going to be... I mean, we actually, we had one caller yesterday who said he was very happy. He was self-employed and he said, actually, this is going to save me a few quid. It's not massive, but it's better than nothing. It's 400 quid a year. It's something. Mm. Um, let's hear from another caller, though. Victor is in Bedfordshire. He wants to talk about migration. Hi, Victor. Yes. Well, Hello. What can you, what can I do for you, sir? Well, it, it, it's migration, but also the uh, the multicultural, multi uh, racial element. Yes. Um, I feel that if this country was invaded, if this country went to war, if we had something like uh, what uh, the situation like 1940, a good number of people in this country would side with the enemy. Mm. There That's worrying, isn't it? There wouldn't be any uh, United uh, Kingdom, a United Britain against whatever yeah. you know they, they were fighting. Because there are people here who, despite they like being here, but they they, they, they dislike the country, they dislike the people, and you can see it when you, right. what we've seen it already. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very worrying situation. Victor, listen, thanks very much for calling. Um, a lot of people very worried about this, the, the, the situation um, right now. But 
I guess we should finish up with this very dramatic picture on the front page of the Metro, uh, which has also made it to the front of the Sun as well. This was a, a, a rescue, a builder stranded on a burning 16-storey office block in Reading today, which was really absolutely an inferno. And this guy very, care, very carefully and very calmly allowed a sort of cradle um, to move into the top of the roof, the roof and, and this guy just got in and was hoisted to his rescue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite stunning footage. When Daring you, when you, do. Yeah, when you watch the whole clip. Um, yeah, I mean, the, his, he, the guy on the, on the roof is very lucky. He has such a talented yeah. colleague. He should go and buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, that is a good rescue, you'd have to say. Listen, Ben, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening this week, for watching as well, of course, and for taking part. Uh, we'll be back with more from Plank of the Week uh, tomorrow night. That's 7 o'clock. But that's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, thanks to all of the guests that were on the show. And, of course, uh, thanks to all of you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Good night and have a fantastic weekend. This is Talk TV. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.